In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I feel like I've preached this homily before because, of course, in the ordinary form, in the Novus Ordo, uh, the Feast of the Holy Family comes within the octave of Christmas, the Sunday within the octave of Christmas. Um, and yet, I think it's an important homily to preach and to preach and to preach again. Um, during most of my life, January was the month of life because, of course, uh, the horrific Roe v. Wade decision which enshrined abortion in our federal uh, legal jurisprudence. But now that the Dobbs decision has pushed uh, Roe v. Wade to the waste bin of history, um, I think perhaps we should honor that decision and honor those who lost their lives to the scourge of abortion by thinking about the family, which is the answer to abortion and undesired life and people who feel meaningless and so many of the problems of our world today. The last battle we have been told between the Antichrist and the church will be fought over the family. And I think this is something that we can't um, take too seriously. The family really is the core, the building block of society, and that includes the society of the church. And we see that in today's feast day, the feast of the Holy Family. Our Lord was God. Our Lord is God. And he decided to be born into a family to be subject to a mother and to a father, though he was God, to empty himself out like a little baby, to endure all of the inconveniences and grievances of a family, granted with a mother who was immaculately conceived, that probably helped, but still within the family's life, um, there are tensions, there are difficulties, particularly living in this veil of the shadow of death with so many uh, things pressing in upon the family. And that's always been the case. It's always been the case that the family is target number one of the enemy. We see that in the Feast of the Holy Innocents after Christmas, where the family is attacked physically by armed soldiers of Herod, who comes to destroy the family and the child. But we see it in so many other places in our world today, some that are overt and some that are covert. Overt attacks on the family are things like gender ideology, the separation of the marital act from the goods of unity and procreation, which are two sides of the same coin, not two separate ends of marriage. We see it in attempts by the state to take children away from their families and to teach them foreign doctrines, to propagandize them, to set them against their families. In some countries, it's even the norm where children are told to inform on their families. There's a young lady I heard speak over the summer who is from North Korea, and she said in her country, in every home, there is a picture of the dear leader, and from a very young age, they're told that the dear leader is their father, and if they're biological parents, 
was to do, do or say anything contrary to the good leader, the dear leader, they should call the police on their parents. So there are, of course, these overt attacks on the family that are plentiful and perhaps multiplying in the world. But I think there are also subtler attacks and attacks that maybe we're not as ready for. You know, the martyrs show us that when someone comes after us for our faith with the sword or with a cross or with a burning pyre or with a lion, maybe it's our pride, maybe it's our stubbornness, but we often will dig in and entrench ourselves. In fact, there's a certain sense that overt bloody martyrdom is something that makes it easier for us to love God because we're given a clear set choice. But the covert attacks on the family don't give us a clear set choice. They set something before us that is good, at least after a fashion, and they put it in competition with other goods, perhaps goods that are better. And of course, the family is better than most goods in the world today. And they set up a competition and they make it difficult, tempting us subtly. Oh yeah, this isn't a sin. This thing is good. You like this thing, it's pleasurable. Maybe it's even more pleasurable than the good of the family. The family's okay too. But do this other thing, because it's better than the family. Choose this easier way, this softer way. I think that is one of the things that we as Christians who are awake and aware and watchful for attacks on the family, that we have to be also ever vigilant about these covert attacks. Things like our priorities and our time. In the world today, the Antichrist has a trick. The enemy has a trick of trying to atomize us and divide us. It's structurally built into the world that we live in. You're this part of this group. You're part of this group. You're part of this group. These groups are warring against each other. They're in competition. Perhaps the modern world started it with Marx, who suggested that different classes were at war with each other. And of course, one of the classes that are at war with each other are men and women, right? We all know this, that men and women are enemies of each other. And they're out to get each other. And they're out to oppress each other. And that you need to fight back and hold your ground, right? This narrative has crept into our minds. All of us have been infected by it. And some of us act on it in larger or smaller ways on a regular basis. It even infects the things that we're willing to say. In society, it's considered impolite to suggest that men and women are different. Our Lord knew that men and women were different. That's why there's a man and a woman in the Holy Family of Nazareth. There are intrinsic differences, both physiologically and emotionally, psychologically, and I dare I say, even spiritually, between men and women. And men and women aren't at odds because of these differences. In fact, 
They are complements one of the other. They're meant to help each other. The man, being different than the woman, pulls the woman out of herself, and the woman, being different from the man, pulls the man out of himself. If only they're willing to have goodwill, charity, as we hear in the epistle, one for another. And as if there wasn't enough pulling of people out of themselves, we have children. And children pull both mothers and fathers out of themselves in an even more profound way. When they're little, they pull us in one way. Then they get older and they pull us in another way. Right? And eventually they become adults and they pull us in still another way. And they make us grow. And it's uncomfortable. And so we need to fight this idea that we're at odds with one another. Whether generationally, the young versus the old, men versus women, boys versus girls, brothers versus sisters, all of this is of the Antichrist. It's all about division, and division is not of the Spirit, St. Paul tells us. Our Lord prays, may they all be one as we are one to his Father. The family must fight for that unity. The family must fight for a unity of purpose. And that's another subtle way that the family is under attack, that we're divided and we're sent in many different ways, oftentimes by interests. In life, we're told that we have to um, be self-fulfilled, right? We have to have hobbies, we have to have interests, and sometimes they're different, and that's okay, and we'll all go in different directions, and we'll sort of stay in our own corner of the ring, and that'll be good. And there's a certain truth to that, particularly when there's real differences. Men and women are going to do different things for recreation, different things for work. But we have to be very, very cautious that we don't allow that to characterize our life. The family's primary purpose is not to make a lot of money. The family's primary purpose is not to go to school. The family's primary purpose is not to play sports. The family's primary purpose is not to go on vacations or have hobbies, fill in the blank. The family's primary purpose is the sanctification of souls. We need to take that very seriously and examine our conscience on a daily basis. Are there things that are coming between me and my wife? You know, over the summer I was talking to someone about the biggest threat to the family, and he said, you know, this is not going to sound uh, very um, common sense to you, particularly as a group of Christians that he was talking to, but one of the biggest threats to the family can be youth ministry in churches. Because youth ministry sometimes thinks that we want to take our children away from the family and give them all these events, right? And they do it for a good reason, because we want to portray the gospel to them and introduce them to our Lord and help them to develop in their relationship with the Lord. And there's a time and a place for everything, right? He was making an extreme position, but we need to be very careful. There are all these good things. But if they take away from the good, most good thing, the best things, they are an attack subtly upon the family. 
busyness is something that we have to be cautious about. Also voices of the world. Voices in the world today have multiplied themselves and everyone has an opinion. And all these opinions seem to be contradictory one with the other. The only voice that family members really should be concerned about are the voices of God as discerned through our family members. And then very, very select and carefully chosen friends and family who you know are trustworthy, who you know are there to help you get to heaven and to cement your family in God's plan for it. As we come to the altar on this feast of the Holy Family, we really need to think about all of the different things that are pulling us away from the family, trying to destroy the family, trying to break the family up. And we have to pray for our Lord's grace, the grace of reconciliation, the grace of prudence, of wisdom, so that we can remember God's plan from the beginning. That's what our Lord said involves a man and a woman. It's the reason why I really love this devotion, this sacramental, the three king blessing. The three kings, as I said in the announcement, come to visit your home. They come to visit your home because Christ is there wherever two or three are gathered in my name. Because of the grace of baptism, Christ is there in your wife and your husband, your son and your daughter, how often we miss that presence. And so they come and they bring gift to Christ in your home, blessing your home, and reminding you that you can love the newborn king of the earth, of heaven and earth, by loving your family members more intensely. When the priest or the father of the family comes, they sprinkle holy water around your house, reminding you of that dignity of baptism. They also chalk the doors, and the chalk itself is a wonderful sacramental. I had it all over my hands before Mass, right? It's very vibrant when you put it on a surface, but very quickly it starts to flake away and blow away. Rain and wind can take it off very quickly. And so by the end of the year, after you mark your door with it, it's still there, but it just sort of looks like a glob. It's faded. Sometimes our memory of the dignity of our family members fade that way as well. And so on a regular basis, annually at least, we need to recall the fact that the family is the place where Christ is to be found. It is the domestic church. It is the place where Christ desires for us to lay gifts, maybe not for gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but everything that we have and everything that we are. The family is the answer to the problem of the world, the brokenness of the world. It is the answer to God's plan. And so, as we go to the altar of God, we pray in a particular way for the families of our parish. We pray for um, all men and women that they may strive to cooperate with God's plan from the beginning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>